I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles at this time and turn to the book of Matthew in chapter 2. We were in chapter 1 last night looking at uh, the promise that was fulfilled in God sending His Son to come and be the answer to our sin problem. And this morning, uh, we're going to pick it up in chapter 2, kind of where we left off last night, and look at a different aspect of something that happened after Christ was born. I'm going to let you remain seated at this time, but I want to begin reading in verse number 1 of Matthew 2. It says this, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when he had found him, Bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, And be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth, and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. We'll stop there. It's interesting, isn't it, to consider that as Jesus was born... Uh, It wasn't just people around and nearby in the surrounding country like we heard just a moment ago of the shepherds that were abiding in that same country. They were were in the same country abiding in their fields, uh, you know, keeping watch over their flocks. There were those that were nearby uh, uh, Bethlehem where Jesus was born. 
that uh, initially came to see him. But, but actually what we're reading here is, is the account of people coming from a, a great distance. These are wise men who've come from afar. They've come from the east seeking after Jesus. Now, it's interesting, isn't it, that many times you see a, a nativity scene there. You have uh, Jesus in a manger and, and Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men all there uh, together in the same night. That isn't really what the Bible is teaching us here. In fact, we find that these men traveled from a great distance. It would have taken them a long time uh, to come and, and make their way to, to uh, Bethlehem to find Jesus. Also, it's interesting that you find in Luke chapter 2 uh, the, the statement that the, the shepherds came and they found the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. This passage of scripture we just read, it doesn't call him a babe, it calls him a young child. And, and we get the idea that this would have taken place sometime after uh, Jesus' birth. Some, some time had elapsed and some time had passed and these men were, were coming to worship God. Who were these people? Well, the Bible says that they were that they were wise men. That they were uh, uh, in, in, in. Some have referred to them as as magi. These were uh, dignitaries. These were uh, rulers. These were kings. These were those who had come seeking after Jesus. They were coming from the east. Uh, presumably, these were uh, kings of Persia, uh, that, that area kind of known as I Iran, maybe even Iraq and Babylon and that area. These people had come together to seek after the king. I find it interesting, actually, that, that, uh, that these men would even know from seeing a particular star to come and seek after one who was known as the king of the Jews. And I've done some reading on that and, and heard some different opinions of how it was that they may have known. And, and it seems to be a general consensus that these may have been people who were seeking after the true God uh, who would have known of some truth that God had given to his people Israel through potentially the prophet Daniel. Uh, who was living obviously in Babylon about 400 years earlier, uh, was there in, in Babylon and, and, and would have testified to them of his people, the Jews, and that there was a Messiah coming one day. These were people who were awaiting, just like we talked about last night, who were awaiting the fulfillment of God's promise. And the Lord revealed to them uh, that, that it was time now for them to come and seek him because he had been born. They, they said in uh, verse number two of our chapter here, uh, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. I don't know exactly what it was in the sky that, that uh, they saw that indicated to them uh, that this prophecy had been fulfilled, but whatever it was, God gave them an awareness that they ought to seek after this king. And just a side note there, I want you to know that there are people and places in the world where there is really no gospel witness and no Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church and, 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 and just no light there. But even in those places, if there are hearts and souls willing to seek after God, God will make a way for them to know the truth. He'll bring someone to them or bring them to someone who can give them the gospel so that they can be saved. This is what was happening. The, the, the Lord gave them a sign and they followed after that which the Lord gave them 
and they came and found Jesus. Uh, another observation about this is that, that I find fascinating is here you have Jesus, who is the king of the Jews. He is the, 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 the son of David. He is born uh, in Bethlehem, just the city of David, just outside of Jerusalem, that capital city uh, of, of the, the land of the Jews. And in the midst of Judea, in the midst of the land of the Jews, no one is aware that the Savior's been born, except these shepherds, perhaps. But, but other than that, no one seems to be aware of that. But here you have these Gentile men from a great distance away, those who, who, who were on the outside looking in, if you will, and they were the ones who came seeking after the Lord. Fascinating to consider that. And so they come to Herod, the king, the one who is ruling over the Jews in that part of the world, and they're inquiring of him, and they ask this question, where is he that is born king of the Jews? They, they ask the question as though he would know. I mean, obviously, we saw his star in the east, and we were willing to, to pack up and travel a great distance to come seeking after this king. Surely, everyone in this part of the world would know who he is and where to find him. They come to Herod asking this question, where, where is he that is born king of the Jews? And Herod's like, what are you talking about? I haven't heard anything about this. And so in verse number three, I want you to notice this statement. It says, when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. When Herod heard these things, he was troubled. That, that word troubled, it means literally to be deeply distressed. I mean, when, when Herod heard that there was a king, the king of the Jews that was born, it bothered him. It troubled him. And that's somewhat to be understood because obviously they're calling him the king of the Jews. Herod's supposed to be king over the Jews at this time. And so someone who's been born king of the Jews, now this is a threat to me and my position, right? So it's kind of understandable why Herod would be deeply distressed about that. But also I want you to notice that he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. I mean, the very people who are supposed to be waiting for the fulfillment of the promise, the Messiah to come, when they hear that one has been born the king of the Jews, they're troubled. Isn't that interesting? So I want to just, considering this, I want to just look at quickly this morning some responses to Jesus. Responses to Jesus. Obviously, the first response we see is that of Herod and his response to Jesus and the news that the, the king of the Jews had been born, his response was anger. I mean, first in verse 3, it says that he was troubled. He was deeply distressed. Look at verse number 16, though. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth. And obviously he was angry with the wise men who didn't report back to him. But notice it says, And sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. I mean, Herod became so angry and so obsessed about this that he was willing 
to actually have all the children ages two years old and under killed in that region. Think about the, the anger and the hatred that must have been in Herod's heart to say, I am willing not just to find this one person who is a threat to my authority and destroy him, but I am willing to destroy not, not wicked people, not men of war, little children and infants. I mean, how hard and how cold would one have to be? But can I tell you something? The truth is, Jesus kind of has that effect on people. Have you ever heard that, you know, this person, they're kind of the type of person, you either love them or you hate them. <laughs> Did you know that Jesus is the type of person, you either love him or you hate him? And there are people who otherwise are kind, nice, generous people, but when they're confronted with Jesus and, and, and him being Christ, him being Lord and his authority, they become angry. They become bitter. They, they reject, they flatly reject Jesus for who he is. Why? Well, so often because they are threatened by him. You see, Jesus, obviously, uh, we understand that he is wonderful. And, and he is a, uh, there, there is no greater joy, there is no greater blessing than to know Jesus Christ and to know him as your Savior. And there is no greater friend that you will ever have than, than that of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is absolutely true, and everyone who knows him knows that that is true. But the reason that many people reject him is because in order for him to be your friend, he must also be your Lord and Master. And the problem is, if he is my Lord and Master, that means that I am no longer my own Lord and Master. You see, Herod was threatened because for Jesus to be king of the Jews meant that he could no longer be king. And friend, I want you to know, there is no greater joy than to know Jesus. But if you will know him, you can no longer be king and lord of your life. He must become lord of your life. And, and, and that reality and that truth turns many people away because they say, well, sure, I want Jesus. I want the blessings. I want salvation. I want his companionship and his peace and, and all of the wonderful things he provides. But I sure don't want him to be my Lord. I, I, I don't want him to be in control of my life. I don't want a different authority ruling over me. I'm my own master. I'm my own boss. My life is mine. And no one else has authority over it. It's my life. I'll do what I want. Friend, that's just, you can't have it both ways. No man can serve two masters. You can either receive Jesus and let him be Lord of your life, or you, like Herod, can reject him. Herod was angry because he was threatened. Can I ask you today, have you humbled yourself and submitted yourself to the authority of Jesus Christ? Or does that thought deeply distress you? Are you troubled at that reality? You, you, want, you want his salvation, but you don't want his authority. I'll tell you, friend, you can't have one without the other. Herod responded with anger, but I believe this, I believe the people of Israel, the people of Jerusalem responded with apathy. 
They responded with apathy. How do I know that? Well, verse number 3, again, it tells us that, that Herod was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. So when the, when the wise men came, apparently this was something that began to be understood around Jerusalem. That There, there was a stirring. Uh, the king of the Jews is born. They were troubled by that. I don't really know why they were troubled by that. Maybe they were just comfortable with the way things were. But for whatever reason, they were troubled about it. They, that means that they were made aware of it. In fact, we, we read in Luke 2 about even the shepherds, how they went and they noised abroad that which they had seen. I mean, I mean, this wasn't done secretly. We understand Jesus was born, you know, in this little hamlet of Bethlehem, and he was born in a, in a, a stable, in a manger outside of the inn, and, and it was kind of obscure. But it wasn't like no one knew about this, because, again, the, the angels announced it to the shepherds, and the wise men came, and, I mean, this was something that was understood. The king has been born. And yet, when Jesus comes on the scene about 30 years later to begin his earthly ministry, everybody's kind of left scratching their heads going... Who's this guy? In fact, the Bible tells us in John chapter 1 that he came unto his own and his own received him not. He was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. Uh, somehow, in, in, in everything that happened here, wouldn't you think as the, the, the Jewish people who've been awaiting the fulfillment of God's promise and awaiting the, 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 uh, the Messiah's coming for all of this time, for generations, wouldn't you think that if someone said, listen, he's here, he's been born, that you would at least try and inquire and figure out who is this guy? <laughs> I mean, I, mean, I want to know, is it true? Is it real? Is he really here? But they just kind of went on with life as usual. They were apathetic to it. And, and it seems to me, as I've watched over the years, there are those people in the world who, kind of like Herod, when they're confronted with Jesus Christ and, and the reality that he is king and he is Lord and that you need him as your Lord and Master and Savior, their response is like, no, absolutely not, never. There are those people out there. But most people, especially in our culture, in our society, you know what most people's response is? Eh. Okay. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, Christmas. Yeah, Easter. Okay, church. That's good stuff. Whatever. But yeah, I'm just going to kind of go about my life as it is. I'm not. I'm not going to. You know, let this change anything, folks. I want you to know, Jesus came, and that changed everything. And you, you need Jesus, and I want you to know it'll change things in your life if you receive him. Amen. We ought not be apathetic about this. We should never come to the place where we say, I know what Jesus, who Jesus is, and I know what he can do, and I know what he has done, but you know what? I'm just kind of busy, and, and I just don't really have time. I don't really have room for that in my life. It amazes me how years ago... When I started um, really trying to serve the Lord, and um, one of the things that I started doing more was, was engaging people, uh, in trying to engage people in spiritual conversations. 
you know, whether it be in, you know, door-to-door visitation or even if it was just in public places, just talking to people, trying to start up conversations that would lead down that path of, hey, you know, how's your relationship with God? Do you know Christ? I remember one of the things that I used to do quite a bit was I would ask the question, do you go to church anywhere? Not because church has any, you know, church can't save you, and going to church doesn't make you right with God by any means, but it's just kind of that door to start talking about some spiritual things. You know, do you, do, do you go to church? Are spiritual things important to you? And it seems like all those years ago, number one, there were more people that actually did go to church, but there were also people who didn't really go to church very much, but they didn't want to tell you that. <laughs> you know, oh yeah, I go to such and such a church over here. And what they meant by that was probably I used to go there or once in a great while, you know, when mom and dad are in town, uh, we'll go to church there or whatever. So that's our church. Now, when I try to talk to people about that, I am amazed by the number of people who are like, no, I don't really go to church anywhere. And the the attitude is just kind of like, I just don't have time for that. Now, honestly, I'm thankful that they're being honest. I mean, you know, it's just a reality. There are a lot of people that are too busy. Now, if you're too busy for the things of the Lord, you need to move some things around in your schedule, okay? We make room for things that are priority. But people are apathetic. Eh. I'm not against Jesus. I don't have a problem with him. I just don't really have time for him. I'm just not willing to make him a priority in my life. I want, I want to hold our place here in Matthew 2, but if you would quickly go forward with me to the next book, Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Something fascinating happens here. In Mark 5, we read of a situation where there is a man. In fact, we'll just, we'll just read about it here. Verse number 1 of Mark 5. It says, And they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes, And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. So you get this idea. This guy, uh, he was a problem. He wasn't just a problem for himself. Uh, He was possessed of these devils, these demons. He was harming himself, but he was a wild man. He was like the, the, you know, the guy that probably all the kids uh, in the community would sit around the campfire and tell stories about, you know. Oh, man, I was, hey, uh, you know, last Halloween I was walking through the cemetery, through the graveyard. And that, you know, that, that crazy guy, that maniac that lives out there among the tombs, I mean, he came out and he was chasing me. And, you know, this was the guy. He was the legend in the area. He was... A problem. In fact, it says that he had been bound uh, with chains and with fetters, and he had plucked them off, right? You know what that tells me? People saw this guy as a problem and tried to get rid of him, and they couldn't. Well, then Jesus comes, and you know what happened there. Jesus comes, and he ends up casting these demons out of the man, and there's a radical change. Isn't that interesting? Jesus comes, and there's a change. 
Verse 15, look what it says. And they come to Jesus. These are the people of the community. They come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with a devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. Boy, this ought to be good news. Jesus came and solved our problem. But notice what they said. It says, that, and they were afraid. They were afraid. Now, wait a second. I thought they were afraid of the crazy guy living among the tombs. So much so that they had tried in times past to bind him with chains, try to do something to get rid of this problem. They had been scared of him. Now Jesus comes, one who is obviously more powerful than he was. And he's delivered him from this. And now they come and this guy who was such a problem, no, he's sitting there, he's wearing clothes for the first time we've ever seen him. He's clothed and he's in his right mind. He's a normal guy like you and me. <laughs> Man, you would think that they would start worshiping Jesus. No, they feared him. They feared him more than they had feared the other guy because notice in verse 17, and they began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. Jesus, would you just leave? Would you just leave us alone? I mean, after all, who are you to come here and start fixing our problems. <laughs> really, just, just leave. We were fine without you. That wasn't true. But they, they just wanted him to leave. I think there are a lot of people today like this. I'm okay with, I, I don't have a problem with Jesus as long as he's over there. And isn't interfering with my life and shaking things up too much. I would rather worship him from a distance. Friend, let us not be like that. Amen. Let us not be afraid of him. We ought to fear him in a right way. But as we go back to Matthew 2, we saw that Herod responded in anger and the Jews responded with apathy. But here we have these Gentile wise men and notice that they responded to Jesus with adoration. Because in verse number 2 it says, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. We dropped our lives back in the east so that we could come and worship the king of of the Jews. Look at verse number 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him. Amen. I mean, here, here are these men, dignitaries, people of stature, people of honor and respect, and when they come into the presence of Jesus, they fall on their face. They humble themselves and worship. And then it says that they opened their treasures and presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Here's what they're saying. 
Jesus. You, you know what it means to bow down, to fall down and worship? It means to acknowledge that the one who is before you is greater than you. It's a lowering of self and an, exalt, an exaltation of another. And here's what these kings of the east were doing. Jesus, even though you're a little child, we know that you're so much more. You're greater than we. And we're willing to give you our very best. That's the right response to Jesus. Jesus, you're greater than I am. And I want to worship you and I want to give you my best. Friend, can I just encourage you today? I understand it's a special day. We, we have a lot of um, traditions. We have a lot of things that we like to do on days like today. I, I'm looking forward to going home and spending time with my family and opening gifts and just, just celebrating the day. But let us never forget what we're really supposed to be doing. We ought not be apathetic like the Jews. We ought to be like the wise men that say, I want to worship you. I want to honor you because you are worthy of my worship.